in our F260 series, here's Brian Legg with our message. The Book of Psalms, it's a collection of 150 ancient Hebrew poems, songs, and prayers that come from all different periods in Israel's history. Many of these poems are connected with King David, 73 actually, and he was known as a poet and a harp player. But there are many different authors behind these poems. There's the poems of Asaph, or from the sons of Korah, and some are from other worship leaders in the temple. Even Solomon and Moses have their own poems, and nearly one-third of these are anonymous. Now, many of these poems came to be used by the choirs that sang in Israel's temple, but the book of Psalms is actually not a hymn book. At some point in the period after Israel's exile to Babylon, these ancient poems were gathered together and intentionally arranged into the book of Psalms before us. And it has a very unique design and message that you're not going to notice unless you read it from beginning to end. Now to see how the book of Psalms is designed, it's actually most helpful to start at the end. The book concludes with five poems of praise to the God of Israel, and each one begins and ends with the word hallelujah, which is Hebrew for a command to tell a group of people to praise Yah, which is short for the divine name Yahweh. Now, that's a really nice five-part arrangement, and it looks like someone's giving us a conclusion here to the book. So, it invites the question, does the book have any other signs of intentional design? If you pay attention to the headings of the poems, you'll notice that at five places, your Bible translators have the heading book one, book two, book three, four, and five at various points, and that these divide the book into five large sections. Now, the reason for this is that the final poem in each of those sections have a very similar ending that looks like an editorial edition. It reads something like, May the Lord, the God of Israel, be blessed forever and ever. Amen and amen. So the book has a conclusion. It has an internal organization into five main parts. And so the natural place to go from here is now the beginning to look for an introduction. And what do we find? Psalms 1 and 2. Two, which stand outside of book one because most of the poems in book one are linked to David except Psalms one and two, which are anonymous. Psalm one celebrates how blessed the person is who meditates on the Torah, prayerfully reading it day and night and then obeying it. Now the word Torah simply means teaching and more specifically it came to refer to the five books of Moses that begin the Old Testament. And here actually the word seems to be used with both meanings in mind, which explains why it has five main parts. The book of Psalms is being offered as a new Torah that will teach God's people the lifelong practice of prayer as they strive to obey God's commands given in the first Torah. Psalm 2 is a poetic reflection on God's promise to King David from 2 Samuel chapter 7, that one day a messianic king would come and establish God's kingdom over the world, defeat evil and rebellion among the nations. Now Psalm 2 concludes by saying that all those who take refuge in the messianic king will be blessed precisely the word used to open Psalm 1. And so together, these two poems tell us that the book of Psalms is designed to be the prayer book of God's people as they strive to be faithful to the commands of the Torah as they hope and wait for the future messianic kingdom. Well, good morning. 
Welcome again to TBA. I'm Brian Legg. I'm part of our lead pastor team here. The video that you just watched is from the Bible Project. It's a resource that I shared with you a few weeks ago as we were going through the book of Ruth. Hopefully something you've been able to use over the past few weeks. Just does a really good job of giving you some overall context of some of the things you're reading and kind of putting, connecting some of the dots and putting things together for you. Um, if you're interested in that and you've not used it yet, you can go to thebibleproject.com. They have all the videos there. Or you can even just go to YouTube and just look up Bible Project. Search that and it'll pull up all their videos. And they have a, a video from basically every book of the Bible to walk you through as well as some other different studies that they have on there. Now you probably figured this out on your own, but that was only a portion of the video for Psalms. It kind of introduced this big picture and then brought it down to the introduction. And we just kind of camped out there. I shortened it down because the overall video was like nine minutes and I knew we didn't want to go quite that long this morning, so I just wanted to give you a little bit of an idea of where we were going to go today, and I want to spend some time specifically in that introduction, Psalm 1. What is it teaching us? What is it saying to us? So if you'll grab your Bible, or if you want to follow along on the screen, or on your phone, or however you want to do that, we're going to start in Psalm chapter 1 and read through that whole psalm together. Six whole verses. Psalm 1, 1. All oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction." Now, before we dig into any big truths that we see in this short chapter, I want to start by just saying this. It can very easily be argued that this passage is the exact reason we're doing this F260 reading plan as a church. See, I would say that every single one of us wants to experience God's blessing that you hear talked about there. And this passage really reminds us that we will experience that blessing when we are in God's Word, meditating on it day and night, as it says in verse 2. And I kind of feel like we've been saying the same thing in some way or another over and over and over and over and over and over for at least the past year. In fact, I started to get up here this morning. I really had this thought, and I think God just kind of reminded me it probably wasn't the best thought, but I was going to ask you to raise your hand if you're not reading the F260 plan so that I could tell you if you'll please just start reading, we can move on to the next topic and we won't be stuck here. But... I figured that wasn't the best way to go, guilt trip, you know, that whole thing. So I would just say this, it's literally that important. Spending time in God's word is that important. See, the truth of the matter is we grow in relationship with Christ when we're in God's word. We gain introspect into our lives and both into the blessings that God gives us and also our own personal shortcomings and struggles when we're in God's word. When we're in God's word, we learn to be obedient we're given direction for life. We learn how to worship, how to pray, how to walk through life as disciples of Christ like we talk about all the time. All those things come when we're in God's word. God's word is life. It's our hope and encouragement as well as our instruction and our discipline. And we can't truly follow God or I would say even truly know or understand God if we're not spending time in his word. It's that primary vessel that teaches us that, that helps us to understand that. In fact, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 says, This is the message that we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. 
See, if you're not in God's word, you're living in spiritual darkness. The Bible is our light. It reveals God's truth to us as the Holy Spirit helps us to understand those truths that we're reading. And then we have to go on to practice that truth. We have to be obedient to it, put it into place in our lives. So the question I would ask this morning is this. Are you living in light or are you living in darkness? Are you in God's word or are you continuing to wander blindly through life, trying to figure it out on your own? See, if you step back to kind of a 50,000-foot overview of Psalm 1, it's basically asking that exact same question. As it introduces this overall theme that we see throughout the book of Psalms, it presents our two options in life. Option one, righteousness, and option two, the wicked. And Mary, you may have to, there we go. Psalm 1 presents our two options in life, the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. We are faced with a choice. Which path will we walk? And I would ask this, which path are you walking right now, today? See, I bet that there's not a single person in this room who would call themselves wicked, right? You wouldn't expect anybody else to call you that either. You wouldn't want that. I wouldn't think of that. I wouldn't want anybody to call me wicked. I wouldn't think of that as you. But see, when we think of the word wicked, the first thing that comes to mind is this kind of overwhelming or intentional evil, But that's not really the word that's being described here. In fact, if you go back to the Hebrew word that translates most often as wicked, it's the word rese. And it most simply describes a person that is not living in covenant relationship with God or a person who follows his or her own passions rather than God's passions and plans. See, it might even be somebody that's kind and charitable. It might be somebody that is kind of an overall good person, seems to do the right things, but yet... God looks at them and sees no eternal value in their efforts. Basically, they might behave well, but their heart is lacking and their motivations are not in line. Puts it in a little different light, doesn't it? See, the more you dig into Psalms and the more this new teaching begins to unfold, the more you begin to see and understand that it's not just a list of rules and laws that we're called to follow. It's a mindset and a heart condition that we're being asked to embrace. A little different way of looking at it. Go back to Psalm 1, the verse 1 with me. Let's dig a little deeper into what that's saying for a moment. Psalm 1, 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Look at the progression that's painted here. The psalmist starts by stating the joy is found when we don't do the following three things. First, when we don't follow the advice of the wicked. Now, you've got to remember our definition of wicked here. It's simply those who are ungodly or those who are following their own passions instead of God's. So basically what he's reminding us here is that we should not be taking counsel or input for our lives from someone who's living in the world, who's not following Christ. Don't go seeking counsel for your marriage or for your finances or for how to be a better parent or for any other thing, even how to run your business possibly from someone who's not following God. Because while the advice they may give could be good, and while their intentions may be as pure as can be, the truth is they'll never help you to understand what God wants in your life because they're living in darkness, not in the light. The second thing he says is the joy is found when we don't stand around with sinners. He's not saying that you can't have a friend or you can't have any kind of relationship with someone who's not following Christ. In fact, I would say Jesus taught almost exactly the opposite. He said to be a friend of sinners, but yet he also said for us to be set apart from the world. I think the psalmist is speaking of a way of life here. It's not only should you not take counsel from the ungodly, but also you can't allow yourself to start doing, the, doing life the way they do it. 
You can't follow the same kind of patterns. You have to live your life differently. And then the last thing he says is the joy is found when we don't join in with mockers. And basically painting a picture here of the progression that we can easily fall into if we're not careful. Starts with taking advice or listening to the counsel of someone who's not following God. Then we start to look a little bit more like them. And before we know it, we've become the ungodly. We're the ones walking in darkness and mocking those around us who are walking in the light. In fact, one of the commentators I was reading this past week linked the idea of this to the story of Peter denying Christ. And I never thought about it in that way, but as you go back and explore that story and think about it, when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tells Peter specifically not to follow them. He says, go away, go somewhere else. But what does Peter do? He chooses not to be obedient, and he follows behind the soldiers who've arrested Jesus and Jesus to see where they're going and what's going on. And you watch the story progress, and Peter not only follows in disobedience, but then he's talking with the crowd and interacting with people, and then eventually he's sitting around the fire with them. Well, you know, what do you do when you sit around the fire? You have meaningful conversations with people, right? I mean, it's just kind of the thing we do. It becomes very comfortable. You're talking with them. You're interacting. You're doing life together. And it's in those moments that you see Peter deny Christ three times. Peter, this great apostle, this great disciple of Christ who's following after him, denies him three times. And it's not until the rooster crows that he goes, oh, he told me I would do that and I didn't think I could ever get here. It was when the truth was revealed to him. And I don't know that the story's linked perfectly, but when I think back at that, I go, man, that shows the progression so easily that we can fall into. It only takes one poor turn, one bad decision, followed by another and another and another. And before we know it, we're so far off the path, we're not even sure we know the way back. Basically, the psalmist is telling us here that you'll find joy when you avoid that progression altogether. And how do you do that? Well, he answers it in verse two. It says, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. The easiest way to say that, I think, is where's your focus? Are you focused on the world and all that it has to offer, or are you focused on God's word? Those two. Are you focused on his teaching and instruction for your life, or all the other opportunities that are there? See, we experience God's blessing in our lives when we're saturated with his word. That's what it means to be meditating on his word day and night. And I I hate to break it to you, but that doesn't happen by just showing up at church on Sunday morning. In fact, I would say it doesn't even happen by reading a quick little two-minute devotional once or twice in between Sundays. Although that's good, it's not a bad thing to have that, but that's not what it looks like to be saturated in God's word. The picture that's painted here is of meditating on the law of the Lord day and night, and it suggests that we need to be reading, thinking about, even memorizing scripture so that all of our thoughts and all of our actions are directed by God's word. The psalmist is talking about the importance of internalizing scripture, making it ours, making it a part of us, making it a part of everything we do, live, breathe. And it's the same picture that Paul paints in Romans 12 too, which has become my life verse. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, change doesn't happen simply by checking a box or by choosing a particular action. I mean, any one of us can change behavior for a certain season. We've learned to do that. If you've ever followed a diet plan, you know how that works, right? You change behavior for a little while. January 1 comes and you go, okay, I'm going to take off 15 or 20 pounds this year. And you change behavior. And that lasts how long? I mean, let's be honest. What, about two weeks? Four, if you're really determined, maybe even two months. 
And if you're anything like me, then you're right back into the same old habits and doing the same things because it's just simply a behavioral change, an outward kind of thing. But the truth is our lives never truly change until our heart changes. We have to think about things differently. We've got to gain new perspective and understanding before our behavior is truly going to change long term. And how does God change the way we think? He does that through his word. Very plain and simple. He does it through his word. When we're saturated with God's word, when we're reading every day, when we're memorizing, when we're taking time out of our day to reflect on the things that we're reading, even doing things like journaling that we've been encouraging you to do through this F260, those are all things that help us to process differently, to understand differently, and to apply differently. It changes how we think. That's where our thinking begins to change. We begin to see the world differently. We begin to see God differently. In fact, we begin to actually embrace God's truths, and those truths move from things that are academic in our head to things that we embrace in our heart and begin to live out. We find God's joy, and we are blessed when we meditate on God's word day and night. And then in verse 3, he goes on to describe what we will be like when we're meditating on God's word regularly. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Now, there are several things I want you to note here. First, notice where the trees are planted. They're planted along the river where the roots have access to water for nourishment. That's a picture of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we're investing in God's word, the Holy Spirit will reveal God's truths to us and help us to understand those things. And when we're embracing God's truths through his word, we're going to bear fruit. And Galatians 5.22 talks about that. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things, it says. When we're producing that kind of fruit, those around us begin to see God. They see God through us because of the fruit we're producing. And when we're living according to his plan for our lives, that's when we're going to experience his blessing. But here's what I don't want you to forget. This psalm is being written to a group of people who live in the desert. Now put that in perspective and think about it. It's talking about a tree where the leaves never wither, where it produces fruit in every season, and you're in dirty, sandy soil that has no real nutrients, where you hardly ever get any rain, where the sun is brutally hot and bearing down on you all the time. How in the world is a tree going to keep its leaves nice and leafy and green and produce fruit all the time in that kind of environment? It has to have access to water. It's got to have something that's going to give it the nutrients that it needs. And the water comes from where? It comes from the roots. We don't even think about the roots. We don't pay attention. In fact, most people are so concerned with the leaves and the fruit on a tree, they'll neglect the roots altogether. You look at a tree that's unhealthy, and our tendency is to look at the bark and look at the limbs and look at the leaves. We look at all the outside stuff. But someone who knows something about trees, they're going to treat it at a root level because that's what's going to bring health to the tree. Our roots have to grow down deep into God's word. They have to stretch out to the river of the Holy Spirit and deep into the underground rivers of God's truths. Way too many of us approach our spiritual lives like we approach social media. Think about it for a minute. Social media, you post the best picture, the best representation of you. You kind of frame things the way you want them to be, right? You can look as good as you want to look on social media because you have control over how you present yourself. Same with all of your friends who you look at and go, man, I wish my life was more like theirs. They've all presented that the way they want to as well. We have control over that, and all we're doing is showing the outside. We're showing the leaves, and we're showing this fruit 
but we're not looking at what's going on on the inside. See, this is not about behavior. It's not about outward action. It's about inside-out transformation, building a solid foundation and a root system that can weather the storms of life. Now, if you contrast it, verses 4 and 5 that we go on into show us the flip side of the coin in this. For those who do not delight in the law of the Lord, those who do not meditate on God's word day and night or choose to walk in obedience, the picture is not pretty. It says, but not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. Now remember, it's the same word here that we see. And there went my notes. That's always good. Hold on. I'll get back there. Remember, the same word for the wicked, same. It's those who are following their own passions or their ways rather than God's. And we're told that they're like what? Like chaff. They're scattered by the wind. You know what chaff is? Chaff is the husk of the seed that is taken off in the middle of the, the process of harvesting. So it's basically like a little dried up, withered piece of grass. You know how when you're mowing, like in the dead of summer when it's not raining, I, I know summer's kind of our rainy season, but you're going through one of those dry times and you cut your grass and it's like there's dirt and there's pieces of grass flying everywhere and it gets stuck on your skin and stuck on your clothes and stuck in your hair if you have hair and, and it just goes everywhere and it's blowing all over the place. That's what it's like. It's, that's chaff. It's this little piece of withered, dried-up vegetation that it says just blows in the wind, and it's absolutely worthless. It has no meaning, no importance. And we're reminded that those who do not meditate on God's word and allow it to direct their paths will be blown away like chaff. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. And there's this really, really stark contrast that's going on. You have the righteous who live like trees, who have healthy leaves and healthy fruit and deep and strong roots. And on the other hand, you have the wicked who are like the waste that's left behind after the harvesting process. I can't speak for you, but I know which one of those categories I want to fall into. And then you have verse 6. And it basically summarizes this short chapter, and it very clearly depicts this overarching theme of the choice that lies before us and also the results of each of those choices so that we're fully informed. Verse 6 says this, For the Lord watches over the path of the godly. But the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Now think about those two paths. The path of the godly is one that's guided by meditation on God's word day and night. It's a path marked by obedience to God's word. It's a path that avoids the way of the world and is set apart. God watches over the person that chooses to follow this path. But in contrast, the path of the wicked is one that does what is right in their own eyes. It's a path marked by selfishness, a path marked by pride. It goes with the flow and does whatever seems easiest at the time. And we're told that it leads to destruction. Maybe you remember from a few weeks ago, I shared a proverb about the same idea from Proverbs 14, 12. There is a path before each person that what? Seems right, but it ends in death. There's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Which path are you following? The only way to walk the path of the righteous and to experience God's blessing in your life is to choose to meditate on God's word and to allow him to teach and lead you through his book of instruction. Here's the simple truth of all of this, and this could be said of any given week. I could stand up here all day long and do everything possible to try to convince you of all the things I'm saying to convince you about these two paths and the direction that you're walking, to convince you about the importance of God's word. But the truth is, 
My words are meaningless. So here's what I want to do today. I want to wrap up today by simply guiding you through some of God's instructions from his book of instruction for us. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm not going to put it on the screen. Don't follow along on your phone. You can put your Bible down. I just want you to sit and listen and reflect. And if you can stay awake while I'm reading to you, I would even encourage you to close your eyes so that you can paint the picture. Think about what God's saying to you. Reflect on it. Think about where you are in your journey. Think about what it means to you. From Psalm chapter 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God and the skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak and night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They're sweeter than honey, even honey that is dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant and a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 16. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I've recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I've rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Verse 18. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. Verse 21. You rebuke the arrogant. Those who wander from your commands are cursed. Verse 25, I lie in the dust, 
Revive me by your word. Verses 28 to 32. I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. I have chosen to be faithful. I have determined to live by your regulations. I cling to your laws. Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I will pursue your commands, for you expand my understanding. Verses 36 and 37. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Verse 56. This is how I spend my life, obeying your commandments. Verse 61. Evil people try to drag me into sin, but I am firmly anchored to your instructions. Verses 71 and 72, my suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. Verse 91, your regulations remain true to this day, for everything serves your plans. Verse 93, I will never forget your commandments, for by them you give me life. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And verses 111 and 112, your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. May God bless the reading of his word and those who hear it. TBA, we've got to understand that God's word is life in a dying world. It's light and darkness. Without it, we are race. We're following our own way. And the psalmist tells us that we will be like chaff that is blown away to the fires of destruction on judgment day. The choice is yours. Will you choose to meditate on God's word and walk in obedience to his instruction? Or will you keep walking your own path? And here's the part about it that's a little bit difficult. I would guess that there's probably a lot of you sitting here this morning that go, hmm, that's a great message for some people to hear today. I'm glad I'm already a Christian. I've got this figured out. Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but I'm not just talking to those who don't know Christ. See, there are far too many people who call themselves Christians, who have really dusty Bibles, and they stand around with sinners, as the psalmist says. So this is what I would ask. What is your life reflecting? Do you have deep roots and beautiful fruit? Or are you tossed whichever way the wind blows? Dig into God's word. Embrace the truths that it tells us. Did you hear those things as you were listening to the Psalms? It talks about every possible aspect of life that we could think about. It talks about when we're desperate, turn to God's word. When we feel completely overcome, turn to God's word. When things are going well, turn to God's word. When you need instruction, turn to God's word. When you need discipline, turn to God's word. 
It points back the same direction every single time. Turn to God's word for anything and everything that you need. But that requires a certain amount of discipline on our part. It requires that we choose to turn to that. Embrace God's truths for your life through his word. Allow him to change your thinking and transform you into a new person. If you would like to talk or pray with somebody this morning, I would encourage you to come back to Next Steps. We'd love to talk with you or pray with you and help you start a new path. I would encourage you to go home and read some of the same things that I just read to you again. Take time to really think about it. All those verses that I just read to you out of Psalm 119, they're the verses that as I was listening to it, because I use version and listen while I read so that I can have my paper Bible and have somebody read to me to slow me down. And those are all the verses that I was highlighting as I was walking through it, just things that grabbed my attention to go, this is the importance of God's word in our lives. Go home and read that again. Reflect on it. I know it's quite a few verses, but if you just stop and think, this is the instruction that God's giving us, telling us how important his word is in our lives. But we have to choose to read it, allow it to impact our hearts, and then the most important thing, we have to choose to be obedient to it. Stand with us. Let's pray. And then whatever God may be laying on your heart through his word, I would ask that you just respond according to that. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for the truths of your word that you keep revealing to us over and over and over. God, thankful that you have given us your word so that we can experience your truth, so that we can understand your truth differently. God, I'm thankful that you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand those truths that you're teaching us. God, the words come back to mind, even as I'm talking now, of, of just how you take the, the simple but make it wise for us. Help us to understand it. God, I pray that as we have listened to your word this morning, that it truly would not return void, but it would begin to change our hearts, that we would choose to embrace your words, that we would choose to be obedient to the instructions that you're giving us, that we would be willing to put you first and take the time to reflect on your word, to read your word, to memorize your word, to process the things that you're sharing with us, to allow it to impact us. God, we live in a culture where it's so much easier to sit and play games on our phone or to watch television than it is to spend time in your word. But it's only through meditating on your word day and night that our lives will truly be transformed and that we will come to know you and walk in true relationship with you. Speak to our hearts now according to your word. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.